You know, the way we find out that God's way is better is through surrender. We surrender what we want and say, God, what do you want? He will show us his way, and his way is better. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, abide with us. Stay with us, Lord. Make your home in us. Remain in us, Lord. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens in our world. Lord, with us abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, hope of the hopeless, home of the homeless, oh, abide with us. Because we need you every hour, this hour, the next hour, the one after that. And we're grateful again today, Lord, when we look up and see your mercies are new again and again and again. And Lord, in view of your mercy, let us offer our bodies to you as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. This is our true and proper worship. And do not let us be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but transform us by changing our minds so that we'll be able to discern your will, your good, pleasing, perfect, holy will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you, team. Sky, thank you all. Love singing with you. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of worship is to sing. And so it's good to get to sing with you and to proclaim what we believe even in the words that we sing. So I come this morning to um, think with you about who we are because I think sometimes we forget who we are. And it's a dangerous thing to forget who you are. James says, if we hear God's word and do not put it into practice, we're like a person who looks in a mirror and then goes away and immediately forgets who they are. So let me remind you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And Peter is not writing to ancient Israel. He's not writing to modern Israel. He's writing to the church. And he uses the same words for the church that the Old Testament uses for God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament. He says, but you are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you Gentiles were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How then shall we live as the holy nation, as the royal priesthood, as the people of God? Now that we see his mercy, how will we live? We'll offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God.
The word holy has gotten a bad rap in recent years. I think because people think if you say you're holy, that means you think you're holier than thou. It's not good to be holier than thou, but it is good to be holy. So imagine my joy yesterday at witnessing something amazingly holy. We were over in our uh, chapel and I was there and I had a front row seat to what we used to call holy matrimony. What made matrimony holy? Well, those two individuals yesterday, it was Paul Lambert who grew up in this church and Shannon Rutherford who is uh, ministering at University of Houston and uh, was one of my students at, at HBU. And they have waited a lifetime, Uh, I think it's fair to say. I mean, we just celebrated her 40th birthday. They waited a long time to find the right person. And then, right there in front of God and everybody, they committed their lives to each other and to God for the rest of their lives. And the Bible says, when you set yourself apart for God, that's what it means to be holy. Holy doesn't mean I think I'm more pure than you. Holy doesn't mean I think I'm more righteous than you. Holy means I belong to God, and since I belong to him, I can't belong to anything else. You only belong to one, and you belong to him. And he redeems us for himself so that we belong to him and I just looked into their eyes yesterday and what I saw was holy. They were committing themselves to God and themselves exclusively to each other for the rest of their lives, fulfilling what what Genesis says and what Jesus repeated, for this cause a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two of them will become one flesh. Two become one in Christ. And I don't mind telling you, it it was beautiful to behold. So as we think together about interdependence as a congregation, teaching through the book of Romans, we come today, after we talked last week about submitting to authorities, as long as that doesn't conflict with our relationship with God, and we talked about loving our neighbor Now, Paul picks that up again, and he shows us where the Roman road actually leads. Would you open your Bibles with me? Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's stand together. I'm calling this message, It's Time. And I'm thinking about that little girl who looked at the... uh, grandfather clock and she counted the number of times it chimed and for some reason it accidentally the mechanism was broken it chimed 13 times and she looked at her mom and said mom it's later than it's ever been 13 is more than 12 well it feels like it's later than it's ever been but hear the word of the Lord and do this love your neighbor as yourself offer your bodies as living sacrifice and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, not in dissension. 
not in jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. What time is it? We are keenly aware we have more mechanisms with our phones and our watches, but the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome said to them, it's time to wake up. You wanna know what time it is? It's time to wake up. It's, it's time to uh, straighten up. It's time to dress up in the armor of light. From Paul's point of view, if you go all the way back to the beginning of Romans where he, he talks about how he's not ashamed of the good news. Why would you ever be ashamed of good news? The good news of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then he laments the fact that the wrath of God is revealed in our world against sin. And he says sometimes people will choose a sin and God will actually allow them to go into that even though that's not what God wants for them. And the deception is that they may even begin to believe, well, this is the right thing for me because God didn't stop me, so it must be the right thing for me. But in fact, God gives them over so that their hearts will turn back to him and realize this is not your design, your purpose for my life. In chapter two, he says, by the way, God's kindness leads us to repentance. In chapter three, he says, all have sinned. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory, but the good news is um, that, that God wants to save us and redeem us by his righteousness. Uh, He commends his love to us, chapter five, so whoever believes in him will become a a child of God, will be saved. He commends his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And he goes on and tells us in chapter seven that he himself, he says, oh, I, I wish I had completely overcome sin. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And in chapter eight, he says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then chapters nine to 11, he he longs for his own people, Israel, to become followers of their own Messiah, Jesus, who came. And then at the end of that, he says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God and how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Maybe you, like I, I was in Schrobach when I was a second or third grader, and my mom told me the Roman road about how to accept Jesus as my Savior, and I knelt beside my green bedspread, but I was the middle bed between my two older brothers, the three of us in one room, and I knelt there, and I prayed, and I received Christ, and I got on the Roman road the road to salvation that day. And that road, by the way, if you keep on that road, leads you to holiness. That God's purpose for our lives is that we offer our bodies as a, as a living sacrifice, holy 
and pleasing, not necessarily pleasing to myself, but pleasing to him. That's, that's what my worship, my true, and more than singing, more than preaching, more than praying, my worship is giving my life back to the God who on the cross gave his life for me and rose again on the third day so that I would no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me. This is where the Roman road leads. Look, if you get on I-45 going north, I'm just gonna give you a heads up. You probably already know this, but don't be surprised if you end up in Dallas because that's where that road goes and the Roman road the book of Romans leads you inevitably to a life of holiness set apart for God that's what we mean when we say I choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ and what and what Paul knows is, and he says, it's time for us to wake up. In view of the time, wake up, leave behind the deeds of darkness and choose to put on a different way of life, the armor of light. You're actually wearing Christ everywhere you go. And we live in a dark world. And the, the deepest darkness to me is the darkness of sin, which has even deceived some of God's people to believe this is for me when sin is never for God's people. Never. That's not God's way for us. Even if we think it's right or it feels right or the whole world tells us it's right, you may know this by now, but the whole world can say something is right when it's wrong. And that doesn't make it right. And the whole world can say something's wrong when it's right, and that doesn't make it wrong. It's not a matter of majority opinion. It is the truth of God's word, and the darkness can be deep, and, and, and it's always, what do they say? It's always darkest right before the dawn. Right before the dawn, it's darkest. And then you see the, the sun begin to come up. You think we have long nights. What are they, about 12 hours right now? Seven to seven, something like that. But I've been noticing up in the sky, maybe you saw it last night. If you were observant, you saw it. My family says, who cares? Please don't say who cares. I saw Venus saying goodnight moon. Right there, Venus, brightest, brightest object in the sky last night, right there under, and Venus reflects 70% of its light back because it has these dark, but did you know that one day on Venus lasts 120 of our days? which means one night on Venus lasts 120 of our days. From Paul's point of view, if you go back to Adam and Eve, the darkness starts, and we've been in darkness all this time, and then Jesus comes, and that's the dawn of the light, and someday the light is gonna be, when Christ returns, the light will be clear for all to see, and he says, you, you need to get up and start getting ready. You need to wake up to the reality of what God is doing. I heard about a preacher and he, he dreamed he was preaching and he woke up and he was. That's bad news for the preacher and the people if the preacher falls asleep in the sermon. No, there are moments. The, the word that's used by Paul is the word kairos. Not chronos, chronological time, but kairos. There are moments in time when you make a choice. Think about it, if you're, you who are skiers. There's that moment when you're on the lift and it's time to get off. If you don't, it's not gonna go well for you. You've come all the way up the hill, and if you don't get off at the right moment, it'll either knock you down or it'll take you on back down. You don't wanna do that. There, there are just, that's a kairos. It's the moment to step up and do the right thing. Shakespeare described it uh, through the words of Brutus in 
Julius Caesar, there's a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. But if you miss that moment, he says, omitted all the voyage of their life, is bound in shallows and in miseries. And on such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. What he's saying is, it's time. We used to sing, take time to be holy. If you wonder what time it is, it's time for God's people to live in relationship with Jesus Christ and take him at his word, leaving the deeds of darkness behind. We walk boldly in the light of the presence of Jesus Christ and not one minute too soon because the world, if it needs anything, it needs light in these days. And someone will say to me from time to time, Pastor, I don't know if you know this, but the world has changed in your lifetime. Oh, I'm very aware of that. And I'll say, you know what? If you, if you end up saying some things you used to say 40 years ago when you were preaching, you're going to end up on the wrong side of history. Well, let me just be clear with you this morning. You can't be on the right side of God and his word and be on the wrong side of history because history is his story. And he's the one who's writing and his life is our life, and what he says is true, and the better way, your ways are better, we sang, your ways are better. That is found when I surrender to him and I do what he has called me to do. So two thoughts this morning. First of all, it's time. It's time, church, to, in a dark world to wake up and see the light. I used to hate it on Saturday mornings. My dad would come into our bedroom and he would shout, um, rise and shine. The days are wasting. No, Dad, it's a Saturday. No, no. It's a work day. And we're going to get up and we're going to work. Jesus, looking at a blind man in John chapter 9, says, the hour has come. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then later we see the church is the light of the world. And here's the thing. We've got to recognize what time it is. First Chronicles 12.32 tells us about the men of Issachar. And it says, what distinguished them from all the other tribes of Israel is they knew what time it was. They knew what Israel needed to do. They, they chose the time. I remember back before, by the way, you could stream music on the various uh, different devices and different opportunities to get music these days. Uh, back before there were things called CDs, there were these things called cassette tapes, and, and before there were cassette tapes, there were eight-track players that bumped in the middle of the song, and before that, there were these vinyl things called records. And my first record, do you remember your first record? You say, what's a record? Some of you remember your first record. Mine was a 45. My brothers got cool records from the Minch girls who lived around the corner in Schrolbach, West Germany. And uh, my girlfriend Janice gave me Chicago's song, Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is? I was so bummed. I was like, man, this is the worst song ever. I mean, I like Janice, but she has poor taste in music. But it's a great question. Does anybody really know what time it is? And, and Paul says, you've got to discern the times, like the men of Issachar, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, literally redeeming the time, making the most of the moment. They have this clock called the doomsday clock. They started in 1947 after the first nuclear bombs, and the thought was, how close are we to the end of the world? How close are we to midnight? And they started the clock at 11.53, seven minutes to midnight. I just checked yesterday because I was preaching this sermon, like, what, what time is it now? 
100 seconds to midnight, one minute, 40 seconds to midnight in view of the advanced weaponry in our world and the nuclear devices they're saying. And I was thinking, so the world has a doomsday clock. Shouldn't the church have a Lord's Day clock? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And sometimes we're so steeped in the darkness that we get used to it. I remember one morning I took off on the bayou. Some of you live near me and you see me out there. I see you out there and I was running in the dark. It was a little dangerous with all the coral snakes running around, but they're kind of colorful and they have to chew the poison in, I'm, I'm told. So I was probably pretty safe. And I'm running in the darkness and I'm running this way and I'm heading east and it's just completely dark. And I turn around and I start heading the other way. And I don't know why I did it that morning, but this one morning, this one morning, morning for some reason I looked over my shoulder and I just want you to see what I saw because it was glorious there was this amazing morning taking place and I thought I almost missed morning I was so busy running in the dark I almost missed morning and I thought about that beautiful hymn by Edward Caswell when morning gilds the skies just like this silver gilds these pages morning will gild the skies and our hearts awaking cry may Jesus Christ be praised Jesus said I'm the light of the world I was thinking about our beautiful pictures in the Old Testament window of the of the lights there and and you you got you got Venus I think that must be Venus there above Noah's ark and then and then you then you got the the sun and all the stars the Bible says and he made the stars also and you got Moses's Moses's light the burning bush and it's not being consumed and here's what I want to say to you never church never get so used to the darkness that you think it's normal never look at the sinfulness of the world and go well that must be right because everybody is doing that because it turns out first of all not everybody's doing that God always reserves for, him peop- for himself a people. I think of Mammoth Cave, Kentucky, that, that cavern. It's a beautiful cavern, and there's a river that runs through it. And the, the fish that live in that river no longer have eyes. They don't need them anymore because they've developed over the years in the darkness. They don't need eyes anymore. And it strikes me that the church may lose the ability to see. Tim Goble wrote, it's tough to be in the dark and not let the dark get in you. It's, it's Keith Green saying, the world is sleeping in the dark, but the church just can't fight because we're asleep in the light. How can we be so numb not to care if they come? We close our eyes and pretend the job's done, but the light of Christ's presence, if we will let it, will offend us. It'll scandalize us. It'll make us turn to a different way. It will wake us up to the reality of holiness. It's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Make every effort to be holy. Why? Because without holiness, no one will see God. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? They will see God. In fact, they'll see him everywhere they look because their hearts are pure. This is the call of God. It's, look, it's, uh, it's, it's Peter saying, repeating the words of Leviticus, you shall be holy unto me for I, your God, am holy. God has called us to be his holy people set apart for him. That means we can't just do whatever we want to do. We can't just live however we want to live. We can't just, if you can't beat the world, just join them. No, we can't do that. We are called to set ourselves apart and God's standard is unchanging. Sin's been around a long time. God's been around longer and he hasn't changed his mind about it. Even if we do, He doesn't change his mind about it. 
I think about parents in this room and grandparents in this room, and I've got these two beautiful little granddaughters, uh, Josie and Nori, whom I love with my heart and soul. I saw Josie last week. I'm going to see her again this week. They sent a video of Nori taking her first steps yesterday. She lived in my house for so many months. Why didn't she take her first steps when she was here? I mean, I, I wonder, you know. I mean, I'm glad she's walking, but I would have loved to have had a front row seat. And here's the thing. If you say to me, what do you want for them and, and for BBB? Do you know who BBB is? Baby Boy Brooks, who's going to be born somewhere around November 21st. My first grandson, Josie's going to have a little brother who's going to absolutely rock her world, I'm pretty sure. And, and, and we've got this baby on the way. And if you say to me, Pastor, don't you just want them to grow up and be happy and do whatever they want to do? No, I don't. I want them to grow up and be holy, set apart to God, because there is no happiness apart from holiness. That's why I never celebrate what God doesn't allow. I never say to a person who says, hey, I'm jumping off a spiritual cliff. I'm going to do what God doesn't want me to do. I never go, yay for you, because I know it doesn't end well. It's not a way of flourishing. It's not a way that leads to life. You can't go against God's way. You can't shake your fist in the face of the creator and say, I'll do it my way, God, because I think my way is better. No, God, we sang it. Your way is better. And when I say recognize the time and wake up, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, now get out your charts because, you know, get your, get your old late great planet Earth and get all those books that tell us and, and the charts that tell us what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and that's when we, and Jesus is going to come back and we got these charts. And Alistair Begg, who is solid as he can be, solid as a rock, I love his Bible teaching. He said, so you could wallpaper your home with those charts. I mean, if you wanted to. But it's not going to do you any good if it doesn't change the way you live your life. This is the ethics that comes out of our eschatology. What we believe about the last times ought to make us wake up and make choices. I know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it every day. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. It's time to wake up and see the light. Why? Because it's time for us to shape up and be the light. I grew up, my dad was in the Air Force. He would say, straighten up and fly right. Straighten up and fly right. Or he'd smack me on the backside and say, quit acting a fool. And I have dear friends whom I love right now who I just want to put an arm around and say, quit acting a fool. This is not what God has for you. No matter how you try to, to think about it, there are no scriptures that affirm sin. There are no scriptures that say that's a better way. There, there aren't any. And as Paul so often does, he envisions us taking off the deeds of darkness and he lists them there. And it's a comprehensive list. It's not his only list. He's got lots of lists of sin. If you're wondering, how many lists of sin are there? Well, there's a lot of lists of sin. There's also a lot of lists of, of righteousness. And as Paul talks about them here in this passage, he points out and he goes, so... So don't get involved in carousing. Some translations say orgies. Don't get involved in drunkenness. You know, just you learn new things. I'm 59 and I'm still learning new things. I thought crunk was like getting cranked up. Like let's get crunk. And my son said, no, 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 dad. My sons are still doing this to me. No, dad, crunk is crazy drunk. Well, Paul would say, don't get crunk. Don't get, don't get so drunk you get crazy. Don't do that. He says, uh, don't be involved in sexual immorality. You know, the word there actually comes from the word bed. And he says, so not every bed is for you. You know, 
Not every bed is for you. Find the right bed. Sleep in that bed. Don't sleep in a bunch of beds. You don't get to choose uh, somebody else's bed. No, you stay in your, in your bed. In, in spite of Luke Bryant, you know, love who you love, nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I can't love whoever I want to love. I'm not allowed to do that. I made a decision 37 years ago. I was going to love one woman. I'm still loving her. She's the only one I love. In that way, she's the only one I love. I don't, I don't, I don't get to go, well, today I love who I love. I can't help it. It's a feeling I have. I've got to go, no, 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 no. God's guidelines are there for us to protect us from great pain. It is time to shape up, leave the deeds of darkness. This is repentance. We live this life of constant repentance. We behave decently as in the daytime. Why? Because that's the way God has called his people to live. That means I can't do everything I want to do. And if if you say to me, well, I can just do whatever I want to do. I think about Alan Redpath who said, tell me in the light of the cross. That's what Paul's pointing to here at the beginning of chapter 12, tell me in view of God's mercy, isn't it scandalous that we live the way we do? It's not one kind of sin that gets us in trouble. Yeah, there's a variety of kinds of sin and we're not singling out any sin. We're against sin. We're against all sin. We're against it all the time. If you ever wonder what I preached about today, what did he preach about? He was against sin. He was against all of it, all the time. And Romans chapter one, talks about the wrath of God being poured out against sin. Ephesians 5, 12 to 17, especially those early verses of Ephesians chapter 5, point us to a different way where you and I choose to live in God's armor and not in our own, the armor of the light. Listen to Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, some of you, some of you were involved in these kinds of immorality, they had the same kinds of immorality 2,000 years ago that we do now, by the way. Nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun there. And what Paul says about, about a life of, um, of lasciviousness and licentiousness and doing what I, you know, premarital sex, extramarital sex, um, homosexual sex, heterosexual sex outside of marriage, what he said was, and such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were made holy. And to be holy is to be set apart for God and it produces the fruit of the light, goodness, righteousness, truth in us, have nothing to do. At the end of this passage, he says, so don't make any provision. Don't even give a thought, the NIV says. Don't make room in your life. So here, I love that song that we sang. Thank you for singing that song, wherever our singers are. I love that song. I will make room for you. And here's the thing is, when I make room in my life for God, he fills the whole house. And he's holy, and so there's no room for me to say, but I'm going to try a different way. I'm going to try my own way. I'm going to go my own way. There's no room for that, and here's why. Because when Isaiah walked into that temple and God's presence filled the whole room and all the angels were singing and it was resounding off the walls, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The first thing Isaiah knew was, I'm never going to be the same again. I was a man of unclean lips. And God takes a coal from off the altar and cauterizes it. God will take away sin if we let him. But if we capitulate and say, no, that's my way, well, then we're on our own. And believe me when I say, we don't want to be on our own. 
Augustine was on his own. His mama, Monica, was praying for him to return to the Lord. I talked with heartbroken parents this week who said, our child has chosen a way that we didn't lead them to, and they are, they are choosing things that break our heart right now. And what do we do when friends go into sin? We weep, 1 Corinthians 5. We mourn. We don't get puffed up and go, well, this is fine. No, we grieve because we know God's way is better. And Augustine is choosing this life. I mean, he lived a crazy, crazy, licentious, lascivious, sexually sinful life. And his mama was praying for him to be saved, and she was weeping. And the pastor said, the son of such tears will not be lost. And sure enough, he wasn't. Because one day, he was agonizing because he had gone to hear this preacher named Ambrose because he liked the way Ambrose spoke. He didn't agree with what Ambrose said. That may be your situation this morning. You know, I like Dwayne. I just don't agree with him. Well, that's the way he was about Ambrose. But he kept listening, and God changed his heart. And when God changed Augustine's heart, one day he was agonizing before God, and he said, God, will you deliver me from this sin? I keep saying, tomorrow I'm going to stop sinning. Tomorrow I'm going to stop going my own way. And then he hears this voice saying, take up and read. It's like the voice of little children. And they're saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he picked up a Bible, and he opened to these very verses that I read to you this morning. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ and on that Easter Sunday morning following, he was baptized and became, after the Apostle Paul, before Martin Luther, the foremost Christian leader in the history of Christendom. He was crazy in left field spiritually. And then when he got to this passage, God transformed his heart straighten up, leave the deeds of darkness behind. He says, wear the armor of light. Can I just tell you this morning, you don't wear armor unless you're in a battle. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not with flesh and blood. We're not mad at people. But we're working against spiritual forces of evil that can even deceive really smart people and tell them what God says is wrong is right. And they begin to believe that. And God calls us to a different life, to put on the armor of light. We are clothed in light. We reflect, uh, as, as Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians, we reflect the light of God and we separate ourselves by choosing to live. What does it look like to wear the light? He says it's like wearing Jesus. You clothe yourself in Jesus because Jesus is light. He says as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. I'm here to work while it's day. It's time to work. He, he heals the blind man. He brings light to him. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And then it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, holiness is beautiful. C.S. Lewis said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. If you ever meet the real thing, you will find it irresistible, said C.S. Lewis. God's holiness is that way. He makes us holy. We want to be holy, set apart to him and light. So what does that light look like? Some of you know Eddie Derulet. He has a ministry at Starbucks. I mean, that's his, that's his church. That's his, not his body of Christ, but that's the place where he ministers and he, sometimes he'll buy like coffee for 50 people. And then he meets the most interesting people by buying coffee for everybody who comes through. 
And when the people say, we're ready to pay, and he goes, no, no, that guy over there already paid for your coffee. And Eddie's not looking for anything. After he had his stroke, he just does a lot of walking. He walks, I, I forget what it is, like 15 miles a day or something like that. It's unbelievable. And uh, he also is an artist. So he's designed a new T-shirt. Maybe you've seen it. It's got tallow wood on it. It's pretty cool. Uh, he saw it written on a sidewalk in chalk, and he turned it into a T-shirt. I'm not selling him this. I'm not selling anything this morning. I'm not selling that this morning, but it's pretty cool. So he was holding the door at Starbucks this week for all these people who are walking through. And one lady walks through and says, thank you. And he says, oh, it's nothing. And she said, no, I'm not thanking you for holding the door. I'm thanking you for your artwork because I saw some of your artwork here in, in Starbucks and I asked the people if I could have it because my daughter who's 15 years old is fighting cancer right now. And she's really discouraged. And I took that painting home to her and she's got it on her wall and she reads the words every day and it has changed her whole attitude. Thank you for caring about people, for making beautiful art. And he said, well, thank you. I'm praying for your daughter to get well. And in that moment, who was Eddie? He was the light of Christ in Starbucks. And what Paul says, what Jesus says, is everywhere you go, you are light. Live as light. Don't try to hide your light. Don't join the darkness. Be the light because the light is incredibly powerful. It's powerful enough to transform the world. It's powerful enough to change one life at a time. Put on the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God, Paul says. Put, put on the, put on the, the, the belt of truth because there's no love without truth, folks. It's not loving to tell people a lie. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Live as the light. Put on the armor of God. You're not fighting people. You're loving people. But you're not, you're not loving them well if you love their sin. Don't love my sin. I won't love your sin. We repent, we weep, we grieve over sin. And God is the light. And in him, John says, there is no darkness at all. He's a consuming fire. We know the love of God. I think this youngest generation, millennials, you got this part right. God is loving, yes. Don't forget he's holy. Don't forget he is God. And live in the light of his love. One of my favorite poets, uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, writes this poem, and I close with this. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It'll flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crush. Why do people now not wreck his rod, God's rod, the rod of God? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. All is smeared with trade and bleared and smeared with toil and, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, as bad as the world can be. Nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, the sun went down all morning at the brown brink eastward springs because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast, with ah, bright wings. You are a holy people a holy race. Declare the, declare the glory of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us who we are because we can forget sometimes who we are. 
I thank you that in Christ we are forgiven and we are set free from sin. Not set free to sin, but set free from sin. Lord, set us free to live a life that is pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord, for the great freedom that comes from aligning ourselves with you. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with sin right now because we know you love them and you couldn't love them more than you do. And I pray that by your spirit, you would call all of us back to yourself, that we would wake up and straighten up and we would clothe ourselves in Christ today because the world has never needed you more. It's in Jesus' name, amen.